So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Welcome back, and it's episode 140, 140 of the Running Rugby Podcast. It's Archie joined by Toby and Leo once again, and we're looking at our spring tours. We're about to get into the proper entertainment. Lots and lots of games coming up, but there's been a couple of games since we last spoke to you. We had New Zealand over in Washington, D.C. FedEx Field put up a ton against the USA Eagles, 104 to 14. Australia battled hard we told them beware those blossoms um they managed to win but it wasn't convincing 32 to 23 and just overnight we've had scotland take down tonga 60 to 14 and earlier this morning the all blacks again up against a slightly undermanned welsh team in the open air of principality stadium there in cardiff uh they they managed only to get the half century this time 54 to 16 in Bowden barrett's 100th game and he got a double to a pair of intercepts um, to take home along with the man of the match award boys we'll talk about the all blacks in a little bit but obviously not the most convincing performance for the wallabies uh in japan they did get the win but we definitely seemed like we were missing having uh that big body of karevi solidifying sort of our offense and our attack didn't we yeah that was i think the most obvious takeaway from this game it the ball didn't flow through the pants in the backs and we just looked disjointed again. We looked like we were only really um, combining well, you know, 50% of the time. Just such a marked difference from when Karevi was there and it seemed like, you know, we could throw the ball to anyone. There was a bit more time, a bit more space. You weren't getting these late passes and risky passes um, under pressure. So big, big difference and, and obviously the news which we'll, we'll dig into later, is this, this isn't going to change. Karevi's not going to be around and we're going to have to keep developing the Paisami-Ikitao combo or, or something else to keep going on this tour. That obviously is the big news. Um, so Karevi and McMahon, both uh, Suntory players, not released for the tour um, with sort of late decisions. Even more surprising after the controversy back and forth with Quaid Cooper. Um, he obviously did play this game, had some really nice touches looking back, like he's getting back into the sort of prime form and then doesn't get on the plane. And there's been there's been a lot thrown around in the media since this has happened now with sort of going back and forth between Rugby Australia saying they're not happy with how it was handled to the players um, apologising themselves, but also saying that, look, this was always something that we highlighted. We were always worried about the, our, what our clubs would um, say to us touring Europe uh, for multiple weeks, especially when uh, someone like Karevi had already had injuries uh, previously in that last game against the Pumas. Yeah, I think it's really difficult because, you know, they're trying to protect their livelihood with their primary contract to their clubs in Japan. Um, and maybe when they came into camp, I think in the Gold Coast, when they had those initial discussions, maybe they played down a bit how 
difficult it would be to kind of get out of those, um, you know, training or preseason, whatever they're doing with their clubs to be able to go to Europe. And I think there's some suggestion even with Karevi that if he was to get a serious injury whilst playing for the Wallabies, then that could actually mean that his contract is, you know, able to be torn up by his club. So I think there's some concerns from them, obviously. And, you know, this is the delicate balance with, particularly with Japan at the moment, they're kind of not as familiar with releasing players, I guess, for internationals as perhaps some of the inter- uh, the European clubs are. So it's definitely a teething process. This is the first time we've really had to deal with it properly. Um, and it just so happens all three of them now are, are being impacted, which is it's pretty bad for us given that, you know, Sean McMahon's one thing, he paid like 20 minutes, you know, for us really of serious footy, but QC and, and Karevi really turned around our season. Um, and now we're back to where we kind of were before the Springboks game where we're kind of still trying to bring the experience into the team um, and losing those two guys, I think is huge. It's really going to, I think, make things difficult, particularly against England. Going back briefly to this Japan um, Wallabies game, um, any highlights that you saw? I already mentioned some of the sort of improvements I saw with sort of Quaid linking up early in this game. He put Tom Wright through for that um, first try. We had some nice sort of interplay off the line out with a couple of our big boys getting Taniella over again. So, so some things to sort of take away that were good in that, but also I guess leaking that many points to the Blossoms, maybe not the best. Yeah, the, the number of players who looked like they were playing a bit more freely with a bit of confidence, a bit more flair was definitely noticeable. And you've, you've got to imagine that's the result of being in the same, basically the same 15, almost same 23, week to week, five wins under your belt, um, starting to relax, not not in a sort of complacency type way, but just as a, as a group, like you can start to, just play what play what you see in front of you and how, how you're sort of feeling and combining with the guys around you like might feel like something's on here. Let's let's take this chance. And I guess what what was a letdown was we didn't necessarily take all those opportunities. There were some like you've just mentioned that were that came off and that was great. Um, we we didn't land as many blows as we probably should have. And we also leaked the points um, on the counter and, and just in general. So that's that's something which you you fragment the team a little bit um, and and that's going to be happening again against Scotland in this first um, European tour game. Um, we, we've got to find a way to just firm up the defence, maybe put some of that flair away until we've really got a good roll on, got a few points on the board um, because we, we really are kind of starting from a, not scratch, but from a, from a lower base now. With those guys out, we're going to have to refine the combination and the and the communication, particularly through the inside backs. Um, the forwards are the guys who should be pretty consistent now, so they need to set the platform because they're the they're the strong group with the consistency from the five games. I think our defense definitely took a step back and leaking that many points to Japan. I mean, it's not horrible, but it's not what we would have expected necessarily. Um, and we just didn't seem to have the intensity in defense as much. Like coming up in the line, I think we were just a little bit more disjointed. And that was just something that was so impressive throughout the Springboks and also the Pumas games, really. Um, and we're really going to need that against these Northern Hemisphere teams. 
So I think that has to be a key focus. I have a lot of faith in our forwards that we can really bring a, sh- a strong showing um, amongst those eight players. The back line is of some concern because James O'Connor's coming back in probably, you know, after having a fair bit of time on the sidelines and only just having some game time in the last couple of games. So he's he's going to take a little bit of time to really gel back into this team. And he's likely to be a bit more creative and, and kind of take the ball to the line nicely like Quaid was doing in the Japan game. Um, I just don't want us to fall back into this track of these kind of long passes and taking unnecessary risks because I think that's where we looked a little bit shaky in, in the Japanese game. Like we just, we were being a little bit reckless, I think. And that's probably comes down to the opponent and we're thinking we can get away with things like that. But we've really got to tighten up, I think, going into the next, next three games because you make one error and it can just completely shift everything you know, in a given moment. So I'm hoping that we just focus on defense, keep things simple mm-hmm. again and, and you know, just build the chemistry around these players. Like Paisami is going to take a bit more time. But, yeah, I, I think we can do it. We just need to play in the right fashion. We can't be too reckless. We've said it enough times. We certainly can't be a team that just donates seven points to the opposition with an intercept loopy pass every week. Like that that stuff just needs to be put to bed. I don't think we have the, like just the silky um, pass ripping skills to be able to throw a lot of those. And the way teams um, are pressing up in, in the current sort of style of play, a lot of these international sides are really coming hard as a line uh, to pressure those passes like it's just it's just not worth it and and it it's not a, it's not just seven points like it's seven points depending on when it happens if it happens early in the game you're on a back foot if it happens mid-game when you're on a roll it wrecks your momentum if it happens late in the game it gives the opposition a sniff and a lift if they're if they're close um it might even be enough to put them over you so it's the sort of thing that can go wrong at any time and we're just so consistent at giving opportunities like that in each game um and it's come from different people like it's often been Tamua, this time it was Quaid, I think. Like that we're all we're all of our guys, all of our playmakers are a little bit prone to it. I don't think it, it's it looked out of place in this game, though. It didn't look like we were pushing a lot of balls really wide with cutouts. It looked like someone went, oh, maybe this is on this time. And that's what they attempted. And it was not in the style of the play that we've been um sort of putting out throughout the game so it looked out of place it looked out of the ordinary it didn't come off and you're like right well that was probably a, a bit of a brain explosion they've gone away from what the base plan was and that's the result you get that you get picked off it's, it's a risky move and it's not worked out well at all yeah that's right and as you say a gift seven points to nakamura after that quite intercept in this game um the other big story out of this was hodge uh an injury early in the game had to make some quick adjustments. Uh, Callaway moved to 15 for the majority of this game, so we didn't see any of Jock at 15 for this. Um, this just puts more strain sort of on some of our backs and more switching and changing sort of going forward. We've already heard um, that Kurtley Beale is going to be joining the squad when we get to Europe, along with Tolu, Arnold and Skelton, as we foresaw, and Rennie has indicated that he will be calling on the talents of Noah Lulesio, uh back from Australia as well. And we've heard other names sort of floated around everywhere from the likes of Jesse Mogg, Luke Morahan. Um, we've heard even Tankeli Nairavoro could be there. There's people sort of murmuring that maybe this is the time where you try and get um, Lewis Liner uh, into the Wallaby squad, famed son of Michael Liner, um, to try and get him a cabin, 
uh, cap and steal him away from Eddie Jones and the that English squad as well. Boys, do you think anyone else of these guys is actually going to be added to the squad? And, and who do you think ends up on the park this Saturday uh, versus Scotland? Before we, before you, what position does Beal play at the moment? Is he playing 15 for his club side? Uh, yeah, I think he is. Unless he's playing at 12 next to Finn Russell. But he's definitely not playing 10. Yeah. So that's, I don't think, and I don't think Rennie sees him as, you know, unless unless we get into dire situations, I don't think he sees him as a 10 like he thinks his best position is 15. And that's where the gap is. So I think it's a pretty good, you know, fill-in um, for the time being. I mean, who knows what he's, lo- he's like at international level at the moment. It's been a little while since he's been out for the Wallabies. Apparently he's been in excellent form for Russing, but you just don't know until you see them out there in the group. Actually, I wouldn't be unhappy to see Kellaway go there now. Like I think seeing him pop up um, in those in those plays when the fifteen kind of floats wide and becomes that really wide playmaker and has a guy outside, a guy inside, can do saying himself. Like he's made a lot of out out of those opportunities. Looked really good. Um, he's he's got this deceptive elusiveness, um, deceptive speed. He sort of slips past the the man who's on him and and is able to set up the player outside or, or just carry. So. Um, to bring Beal in, I, I wouldn't. I, I'm not expecting him to just go straight to fullback. I, I think the way Rennie's shown heaps of faith in Kellaway, just to get him on the park and obviously being repaid. I, I think there's a good chance we see him at 15, um, which I'm not not worried about. I think they'd probably be bringing Beal in and, and just seeing how he fits. The, the quote I saw was sort of fit the the team um, style and culture. So again, interesting if they see him as a as an older mentor, he kind of support a senior, a senior support player, um, or or if he's you know is he one of your focal points in your attack? I, I don't think Rennie necessarily wants to induce a introduce a temporary focal point. Um, so my tip my tip of the back would be Callaway, and then I guess I guess everything else probably stays pretty much the same from once Hodge went off. It's and and you put O'Connor in. I don't think there's going to be much change in the backs, and I don't think there's going to be much change in the forwards. Shame with, I think, if they try and throw Patea back there at 15, I think we're going to have issues. They're not going to so do that, man. You don't think? I think that is a a prospect that you'd have to see it's a rugby level for a season or so before you'd even try that. Um, these games are still yeah. pretty important for world rankings and, you know, playing teams like Ireland and England, um, you know, we want to get these wins. So Callaway, pretty solid option. He's got a lot of experience at 15 mm-hmm. in the past. Um, you know, naturalize up footballer, can po- can pass easily both sides, good kicking game. And I think he's the type of guy that has the smarts to be there at fullback and direct us around well. But I do also wonder whether shifting him from the wing is is a, such a good idea when he's been in such a rich vein of form there. Um, also, I'd kind of prefer Patan not to be on the starting 15, which in the past I've been fond of him. I just think he's a liability in defense and he's prone to a lot of you know, different errors on the mm. field. I think having Callaway and Tom Wright on each of the wings is a better option, but it's whether Curly Bill rushing him in this quickly, it might be too soon. You could always bring someone like Dalgunu into a wing as well. Um, he's obviously yeah, been Dalgunu. touring and hasn't had a chance for a while now. Um, oh, I put him in. He's, he's really good just bringing that energy like Marika does. Mm. Um, very similar players and we haven't seen him for a while because he got that unlucky broken arm, but 
yeah, I think you're right. He could easily be someone, if you left Kellaway, you know, at 11, he might be contesting that other wing spot anyway mm-hmm. um, in the coming games. But look, the backs are the biggest concern, I think, just some of the chemistry throughout that back line. At least we do have guys like James O'Connor and Nick White with a fair bit of experience. And I think that's why Curley could be pretty valuable. Um, but maybe you're going to see him off the bench um, if they trust the players they already have there. The next question, um, these guys that have stayed in Japan, uh, a lot of people have sort of made comments on what they posted on social media after not getting on the plane, like saying that they may not ever play for the Wallabies again. That's what they've sort of read into that. Do you guys put any stock in that or do you think there's just as likely that come the rugby championship next year we we see Karevi and Quaid get drafted back into the squad? I think Quaid might be more of a... You know, there's more of a risk for him that he may never play for the Wallabies again, and that's depending on our, how our fly halves do, you know, for the remaining part of this tour and into next year with the super season. I think Sam McCreary is just far too important to be overlooking and hold this against him in any sort of way. I think they have to come out and kind of condemn it and say, oh, you know, you should have been more informative at the time, but all will be forgiven, I think, next year when we come to selecting the Wallabies again. And he's going to probably still remain the standout number 12 for us. Um, so, yeah, I think Rugby Australia still needs to be careful that they're not too hardline with this stuff and upset the players personally where they don't actually want to come back and play. Yeah, and Rennie, his comments were very um, not even guarded, just like like he basically didn't, didn't lean one way or the other. I don't think he would want to be slamming the door on any of these guys. They've come in and made such a difference. Um, to the to the side this year, they've got him five wins in a row. Like he'd be be crazy to to just cast him to the wind for for something that was a, a challenging situation. It certainly wasn't. You know, these guys didn't go out after a game and break team curfews or like protocols or like that. They're caught in a difficult spot with their primary employer contracts that can be torn up if if injuries occur. Um, you know, they're, they're both committed. Or sorry, all three, but particularly Karevi and, and Quaid are committed long-term um, to, to these to these Japanese sides. They, they see that as their longer-term future at the moment. Um, you don't want to get a bad name as someone who, you know, if they did lose their contracts with these clubs, that no other club would want them because they, they may just, you know, put their hand up for uh, the Wallabies or something else mm-hmm. and, and, and make themselves unavailable and, you know, it's, there's a lot of sort of respect and, and um, I suppose um, communication is critical for the for the Japanese sides. Like there's there's um, you, you don't want to you don't want to make people unhappy because it's like you've you know been really discourteous to someone that that's really um, damaging in that culture to be rude and and uh, unreliable. So I think Rennie's struck the right line. He's sort of like, oh look, you know, it's hard to hard to say now it's a difficult situation. No, the guys don't feel great about how it's played out. He is hopefully talking to them saying, look, you know, just thank you. You know, thank you for what you've done so far. Yeah. You're not, you're not out of the, off the radar. Um, you're too valuable. Just look after yourself. You know, they'll get another chance. And there's no question they want to play. Like that's the thing. It's not that, you know, they're deciding against it. It's because there's other factors that, you know, are going to really, it could change the next couple of years of their life if they play it the wrong the wrong way. So you can understand why they're a bit torn in the situation. And 
Yeah, I, th- I just think Andy Marinos came out and he was a little bit too strong, I think, on mm. how disappointed and almost angry he was that this happened. Like, yeah, I know it's damaging for the Wallabies' chances in the next three games, but at the same time, look, they've given us quite a lot. Well, that's right. I'm sure if you sold it as these guys will come play and get you um, four wins uh, at the end of the rugby championship, but like, then they might be two where everyone be like, yes. Please. We were yes. pretty dire straits down 3 0 to the All Blacks going yeah. into a Springboks game. Yeah. Quaid comes in, and it's like, I mean, he's been a superstar for us. So I think we can give them a, a fair bit of leeway this season. Yeah. Um, and, as you, and as you say, Leo, it's not like they're breaking any um, rules with the team or doing anything sort of um, bad from that point of view. Maybe some yeah, poor communication on both sides, it sounds like. Um, but you look at someone like Isaac Rodder left Super Rugby in a bit of a disgrace um, two years ago. Uh, it all it all gets swept under the rug when we suddenly decide we want the talent back anyway. So that's a yeah key, I think, for Rugby Australia not to take any of this um, too, too seriously or too harshly um, to rule on it early on. So let's look at the All Blacks. First off, 104 to 14 versus the USA. Um, this this being the first time the USA have scored a try against the All Blacks, and they did it twice. Um, the only real standout I saw was Osberger um, that seemed to make an impact, and he got the first try for the team. So well done from them. But lots of extra magic once again. Um, Richie Moonga gets back into sort of starting frame. I uh, don't know what's going on with that haircut, that sort of fro mullet that's going on for him, but looks exceptional as always, busting through tackles and just not going down. Um, somehow I have no idea how he scored his sort of solo effort bouncing in between three, four different defenders in that game. But very impressive um, to see Moanga back there. Just like the way he has such a um, awareness of what's around him, like he's he's bouncing off guys, pushing guys, like fending guys who are coming from behind him and using that to get a bit of a boost of speed. And then a guy knocks him and he gets sort of bumped into another guy, he he regained his balance by fending off another falling player and like propped himself back up and kept running. It's like <laughs> it's like um it's like he's he's playing in bullet time. Like he's just got time to look around, okay, I can do this this regain my yeah. feet and whoop, just lift this foot an extra inch or two off the ground and miss that tackle. It's just it's obscene how how well he does in those moments. He just looks super elite and I mean I, Barrett does some amazing stuff but just for just for like dangerousness of one player, Barrett, Barrett's quick in a straight line. He's nowhere near as elusive as mine. And it was, I don't know what you guys think. I mean, it was probably the fact that this game versus Wales just um, overnight was his 100th, 100th test. So I think there's sort of the pressure on to start him, right? I don't 100%, 100%. know. I don't know where sort of where the ideas for Ian Foster is in behind what his actual best team. Like this was obviously a very strong team, the All Blacks made. They did not um, look at the fact that Wales had a lot of players unavailable through injury or not being inside that test window um, and say, oh, we'll put our second string team. They put 100% an A team ready to take this absolutely seriously. But they did that for America too. They played the US with a very strong team. So... Like the, I think they're just they're just out there making sure their best guys are getting reps. Um, maybe they don't feel so confident, even though now they've they've just regained the number one spot with that win over Wales. South Africa not playing this week, so they'll hold that for a little bit longer. But like they they mustn't be so confident that they can you know play a completely different side regularly. They're like, no, we need to keep embedding these these 
um, the muscle memory into these guys, into these combinations. I think you're absolutely right. A hundred test, you're not going to run him off the bench. That's he's good enough, and he's not he's not such a big step difference from Moanga. If some people might not even believe he's the lesser player, that you're going to lose anything from starting him. And he had a great game. So um, yeah, I think that they just looked strong across the board. Really good counter. Very respectful at the start of the game. Like they they weren't just um, kicking to the corner and trying to maul the, the Wales team from the get-go. Like they were trading penalties. They weren't treating it like this is going to be a, a one-sided affair. It was quite balanced going to halftime, even though they were they were comfortably ahead. Um, so so you know, from that respect, they they treated it like any game where you you've got an opponent that could surprise you, could pull a couple of moves out and and stay competitive and then waited until they really had a roll on and started flinging the ball around and, and trying a few things. And pretty impressive that, you know, they're coming across multiple time zones playing week to week and they still don't have a drop-off and able to score that many points against, a you know, not a terrible Wales team. I mean, they're not probably the team they were, but missing some people and, yeah, you can still punish them. Um that's why I was kind of happy the Wallabies had two weeks off in going to the Scotland game just because of, you know, jet lag and, and fighting those effects. So, yeah, you can't really fault the All Blacks. They just continue to roll on and they're building that extra depth, I think, in a squad now. Um, so, yeah, it's they don't really have too many weak points. We are talking about their props earlier and that's probably an area where they do need to shore up before the next World Cup. But apart from that, they're looking pretty good. Yeah, pretty much the only point I think we'd say that um, the Wallabies probably would comfortably beat out uh, the All Blacks starting props at that, this stage. Nepal la, la, la in this one, um, getting a yellow card, not managing to get a try. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's just strong showing from right across this team. And another name that's sort of come up this year, Ethan Blackadder seems to be gaining more and more favour and being coming more and more the favourite potentially to wear that number six, um, hot hotly contested now between sort of him, uh, Akira Yuani, and potentially even Luke Jacobson, um, who wore it in versus the USA there as well. But um, just absolute great competition and watching these guys play. I mean, you can say it every week, but it's just magic. Some of the stuff they can pull out between Will Jordan just um, taking the kick return all the way back to the house. Um, to uh, the lovely sort of in and out one-two punch between sort of Rico and Sevi Reese late in the game and Artie in there. Just amazing seeing these guys, uh, what they can do on the run. They're just like, they're just so dogged. They're so, um, they're also automatic that in that inner play where Reese touched it three times, he had to pull himself up off the ground twice just to, just to catch and pass again. And like, it was just such a small thing but it's automatic in these guys. They just they just know that it's like the, the phase isn't over. The, the opportunity isn't gone until the whistle's gone or it's gone into touch. Like you just keep getting up. You don't you don't waste half a second looking up and deciding are you getting up quickly or are you just going to roll, roll into the line. You get up and you go and you look after you're you know already up in a position to support, and that just means they get these opportunities that other teams don't and. The, the Welsh defence there could have, you know, basically had two opportunities to shut that down. But the fact that they kept recycling players meant the Welsh just couldn't do anything about it. They just ran out of defenders and that was it. So um, just impressive. It's just such a unique mentality that 
the All Blacks have fostered over so many years. Um, I haven't seen another team that that plays like that week in week out. Like you said, never drops it, never drops off that that intensity and that drive. Disappointing for Wales. Um, they once again lost uh, the Stillwell captain in Alan Wynne Jones. Another sort of shoulder injury tried to tackle a rampaging Geordie Barrett um, in this game and. Likely, I guess, not to see him then when the Wallabies play Wales, but who knows with that man. He's uh, just going to switch out his shoulder for a new one. He's probably got a few in the cupboard. Um, probably their biggest standout was sort of uh, rookie sort of on debut, Basham, um, their number 17, Basham, who really looked like he made quite a good impact coming um, into that back row, was really active at the breakdown, causing havoc for, in a number of, um, rucks for the All Blacks taking a couple of steals then. Um, you do have to remember that there will be quite a few different names when the Wallabies come up against Wales. So if you'll get like um, Falatau coming in the background, maybe Tipurovic, um, Reese Webb probably at nine, you may well have bigger at 10, um, as well as a couple more sort of of the backs in terms of Reese Zamet, maybe George North coming into those as well. I'm not quite sure on the injury status of Lee Halfpenny at the moment. So a fair few big names still missing, but again, convincing for New Zealand. They now go on um, to verse Italy next week down in Rome. Which will be an absolute pushover. I wouldn't be surprised if it's 80 points or something based on what they've done to Wales and then USA. Um, That's that's going to be incredibly one-sided. Absolutely. And whereas... Wallabies obviously headed to Murrayfield. Um, I mentioned earlier Scotland putting 60 on Tonga there, but we did see that at this time Tonga is uh, in a little bit of trouble in terms of their outfit. They haven't um, been able to maintain sort of personnel and getting players together. They had a similar sort of outcomes playing the All Blacks earlier in the year um, in New Zealand as well. But good from Scotland seeing this early on. Um, this has to be a few warning signs for the Wallabies um, heading to Murrayfield after that slightly unconvincing win in Japan. Yeah, definitely. And look, Scotland's our bogey team. We haven't had a whole lot of luck against them um, since, you know, Newcastle game in, what was it, 2012 or something? Um, yeah, they're, they're dangerous and they're, um, you know, they're up and coming, I think, as a team. Um, they're getting better at scoring tries from across the park and they've got some pretty exciting backs there. I don't know where Vandermerver is at the moment, um, but they don't seem to need him. I think that guy, yeah, the guy on debut. Um, Stein. Yeah. I mean, they've got a fair bit of talent across their team. And so I think it'll be a real challenge going up to Murrayfield. Like it's a, it's a tough place to play any period of time. Um Look, we've we've got the reps on the board this season. Like we've had a really long campaign. It's just whether you know the change of conditions, the change of you know playing these different opponents with a different style, Northern Hemisphere style. I think we've really got to tailor our game a little bit towards that too, and just can't think we're going to throw the ball around and um, you know run around these guys. I think we have to go through the middle, we have to earn the right to go forward, and I think our forwards are going to play a huge part in this game. Um, Rory Arnold, we'll see if he maybe gets a start or Skelton. You wonder whether they're going to disrupt that second row that's been doing pretty well for us. But um, maybe Matt Phillip kind of misses out if there's anyone. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how they integrate some of these new guys into the 15 for the Wallabies. 
And we said sort of you think he may be curtly on the bench with O'Connor sort of coming in. Um, Tolu Latu, do you think he makes a appearance maybe from the bench as well? Yeah, maybe bench. We still I haven't think... really nailed down who our backup hooker is on this sort of touring squad. No, Obviously, McInerney. He's seen a bit of everyone. Debut for Japan, yeah. At least Fahing is playing well, and that's something we wanted to see from him for a long time, that consistency. Use his arms. He was tackling with his arms this week. He's, he's improving. Thank God. And his throwing's been good. He's just he's a natural try scorer. He'll score, you know, every couple of games he's he's putting one on the board and he's great, great at the back of them all there for the Wallabies. Um I think just adding some experience like Curly, kind of a bit of a like for like replacement for, for Quaid in some ways, in terms of his experience and the way he plays. So I think that's really good. If we had that off the bench, that would be nice. Um but yeah, who knows? It, it might be a little bit of an inexperienced backline overall again, apart from say Nick White and James O'Connor. So that could be a little bit of a worry going into these games. But I think Callaway plays kind of a bit beyond his years as well, you know, on the international level at least. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to be a real test. But we should, you know, if we play to our capabilities, I think we should still get this win. But we definitely can't take them easy at all because. They've shown they're dangerous. They can score points. Um, and playing at home, look, they're going to be determined. Yeah, it's definitely defence first. Make sure the forward pack is strong and, and doesn't allow uh, people to slip past at the ruck. And then you, after last week, six tries from the two wingers. Obviously, they're dangerous players and, and that shows they can shift the ball around. So got to make sure that we've got that that communication through the back line and just 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 start with a, with a stonewall defence. And I think we have the talent that the points will come. We won't have to push too hard. We want to test their defense early and, um, you know, just see how, how well equipped they are. But for us, if we go and concede points early, it could start to snowball a bit. That's what I worry about. If I was having to pick a scoreline, um, look, haven't seen that Scotland game, but there's a lot of unfamiliar names to me. I find it hard to, um, I suppose, gauge them just off that one game so uh look i think it'll be probably pretty close i don't think we're going to blow them out i worry that we could get a little bit blown out if if we're not informed so I'll, I'll probably tip for the for the bandway I'll, I'll tip the wallabies by five yeah I, I think i'd agree with that as well and we've seen obviously being at that game in 2017 when things can go really wrong so discipline's another area we need to be sure that we're not making silly mistakes and getting those yellow cards because like that can really, again, change a period of game pretty quickly. Mm. Um, so yeah, flower finger, please tackle properly. Taniella, no shoulder charges. Let's kind of keep, keep those in the back pocket for another game. But I think it's, um, yeah, look, I, I'm always worried by Scotland, even in that world cup campaign in, what was it? 2015. Yeah. They got we so close. Lost. Yeah, exactly. So they just play well against us. So I think it'll be a narrow win by the Wallabies if we play well. I'll tell you what, one thing that we're probably not going to get penalised is just being on our hands before we try and pilfer the ball. It seems like none of these Northern Hemisphere games have been really tough on the the pilfering man not planting his hands and raking back on the ball. So if we want to give that a go, might as well. It seems like it goes pretty well unpunished at the moment. Mm. Yeah, they seem to be focusing more, these Northern Hemisphere refs, on that sort of player binding to the runner and going down with him 
um, which is sort of a yeah, new law they've off. gone in. Yeah, so yeah. ceiling off, so needing to make sure they maintain their feet, even if you're bound to that player um, in just, the tackle just, sort of thing. Yeah, if you're the defence, get over and get hands on the ball yeah. as quick as you can, even if you have to go hands to ground first, because the way they blew the whistle last week was like, oh, yeah, that guy's pulling on the ball, whistle. Yeah. It's like, well, it doesn't matter how he got there, basically. So as long as he looks like he's on his feet, you that's can kind it. of crawl there with your hands if you need to. And, and that's that's something where I feel like sometimes the Wallabies are a little bit too much the choir boys where it's like, well, we understand, yeah. we understand the laws. You're not willing to bend or break them because you don't want to become the, the object of a bunch of penalties. But realistically, every other team is is just happily challenging it, letting the ref set the expectation and then adapting to that. I think sometimes we mm. leave ourselves some opportunity where we don't where we don't go for it, go it a bit harder. Um, you can see a couple of penalties early to set the set the standard. Well, that's acceptable, but don't miss an opportunity. Other games coming up this weekend. You have Ireland hosting Japan in Dublin. Is it, have have these two these two teams won't have played since the World Cup, right? Since Ireland lost to Japan, uh, I believe they did play in the sort of Autumn's Nation Cup. Oh, okay, yeah, fair enough. End of last year, maybe. Yeah, so. So that amended with that kind of special competition. Yeah, so Ireland did win that last one by eight points, 39 to 31. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but obviously Japan's still strong, right? So yeah. Um, probably something similar to that, then I guess, if they can if they're both gonna rack up some points, sort of in sort of around 30 each. Um, I would I would think Ireland is the stronger side and they're less likely to be surprised now. But I mean Japan is still competitive and they can spring it on you from from any time in the game. So um, I, I don't think it's going to be one-sided. Japan need to be considered a, a real competitive team these days. Yeah, and when we need to start having those conversations more seriously about them being into the rugby championship as soon as possible because I think that's really going to add to the competition, um, particularly with the Pumas flailing a bit at the moment. I think Japan would be someone that, yeah, they're not going to, win a whole lot of games at the moment, but I think that they can build nicely into, you know, being one of the stronger nations in, I guess, the Northern Hemisphere going forward if they can get their, their shit together, really. Um, but they've been, I think, yeah, still still a tier below teams like Ireland. So I think Ireland should, should get this comfortably and they won't make the same mistake as they did in 2019. Conversation for another day, but including the Japanese in the rugby championship, you wonder how that changes relations of players releasing for other competitions, if you bring Japan into those competitions and all the players are like you, the expectation becomes that international players need to be available for their for their sides, not for their, their club sides like that. Obviously, that's not in their in-season period anyway when they were released this year, but just kind yeah. of building that connection, right? And the expectation, you hopefully fewer issues with a, a Karevi QC type um, conundrum like we had this year. Yeah, I think it's just, yeah, primarily spring tour for us is going to be an issue with these Japanese clubs. But, you know, it's just we've got to have those conversations. So it would be nice to see Japan just play more regularly and get exposure to really the top teams because they've got great coaches up there, obviously, with Jamie Joseph and um, and um, Tony Brown. So I think, you know, they're a team on the rise. We've seen some good results over the last five years or so from them. Um and, yeah, they play an exciting brand of football, I think, which is also mm. good for rugby generally. Beware the blossoms always. Um, <laughs> England get to play host to Tonga. I assume we're going to think this is going to be another blowout 
um, for the Roses, uh, probably putting on 50-plus, you think, uh, against Tonga this week, boys? Yeah, I mean, if they can't do what Scotland did, then that's not a good sign for them. Um, not that you want to beat up on weak teams, but they, they kind of need to need to at least match that if they're not going to get criticised. And we could be seeing, what's the name of that Australian hooker that's been brought in to Eddie Jones's squad? It's a Sydney boy, I think. Anyway, his name escapes me for now, but you might see a bit of him over the next few games. Um, apparently, he's been quite impressive in training. So it's um, Lewis Liner, luckily not going to feature for them, but we might see another Australian actually be blooded into that English setup. And probably the two most uh, exciting games for the weekend, South Africa head to Wales to play um, at Cardiff as well, and Argentina um, in Paris taking on Le Bleu there as well. So two sort of exciting games there, boys. Um, Are you just taking the top-ranked teams for both Springboks and France? Yeah, I guess I would be um, Springboks did away with the British and Irish Lions, why wouldn't they do away with Wales, especially if it's not a full-strength side? So I would expect South Africa to, to be very competitive and to, to beat Wales, even, even away from home. Um, maybe maybe it's not a, you know, it might be an eight-point sort of win, like not not dramatic win, but I think they're the quality side. And then I, I expect France to beat Argentina pretty comfortably if they're full-strength, like they're that Argentinian side's unfortunately just being dragged all over the the planet and and beaten up everywhere they went at the moment. So unfortunately, I don't think that really changes. And, and the French at home will be strong and and would be a good game because that that'll be a pretty open, free flowing, um, creative game to watch. So be a lot of points I expect. Yeah, and interesting to see because you know Springboks a lot of their players now obviously playing in the what United Rugby Championship, whatever they call it. Um, so they have a bit better knowledge, I think, of a lot of these Northern Hemisphere teams and even their style might have changed a little bit to be more towards that. So I think they'll be pretty strong and I think they've been through a tough period this year, but they've shown that they still have that resolve and beating the All Blacks a few games ago, I mean, that's um, that's something I think they'll hold on to. I think they'll build nicely into this, you know, spring slash autumn campaign and um, get the win there. And Le Bleu, yeah, you just want to see more of them. Um, at full strength, and France are just such an exciting team to watch, and I'll be definitely tuning into that one. And then the last of the weekend, as we've already talked about, will be the Wallabies Scotland um, coming to us Australian time at quarter past one on Monday morning on the 8th of November. But another sort of big weekend of rugby. We're getting back into it where we've got everything to look forward to, but definitely some sleepless nights if you're going to be planning to stay up to watch all of them or probably more sensibly being able to catch all the replays of all these games uh, on stand, on demand, and whenever you like it. Anything else, boys? Should we wrap it up there? The uh, bookies have the line for Australia to Scotland is one and a half to Australia. So they are, they're seeing a very close game there as well. My, my five might be a bit much based on that. Yeah, it's look, I think we need to see them get this first game under their belt to really know what they're going to be about without Karevi, without Quade Cooper. It's quite a dramatic change for them over the last, you know, compared to the last five games. So look, I hope they can get it done, but mm. don't rule anything out. 
Scotland could come away with this and we'll be chasing our tails a bit going into the English game, which is really the, I think, the target for this tour to get that win against Eddie Jones. But we can't look too far ahead. We've got to make sure we do the business against Scotland. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think Leo called it early. You've got to um, look to drive hard with your forwards and maybe change your game plan a little bit to go really hard with your big men through the middle here, um, not rely on going wide at, um, too early or if at all, especially especially if the weather turns sour um, up there in Edinburgh. That said, we'll find out all that live this weekend and we will bring you all the news and reviews next week um, before we head back down to Twickenham to versus Eddie Jones's men, which will be probably the biggest game of this tour for us as well. Until then, guys, make sure you are following us on social media, on Instagram at Running Rugby Podcast or on Twitter at Running Rugby Pod, liking and subscribing, whatever you listen to your podcast. We do uh, enjoy reading all the comments or reviews that you guys lead us. Um, Feel free to get in touch if you have your own views as well. Um, But until next week, everyone, keep on running. Run.